Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Val Geisler, email marketing expert and CEO of Fix My Churn. We talked about why Val decided to found Fix My Churn, her approach to helping customers set up a communication strategy, and why onboarding emails are one of the most crucial parts in improving customer attention. Val also shared her thoughts on why churn reduction is about doing things that don't scale how SaaS companies have started to concentrate more and more on customer attention, and why great email campaigns should not be time-based but behavior-based. Val also shared examples of tactics you can apply to your email strategies, such as making use of transactional emails to grow customer love, methods to increase conversion, and more. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. How do you build a habit for This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Val, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So Val, you also another great recommendation from a friend from Hotjar uh, and the host of Everyone Hates Marketers, uh, Louis Grenier. So I'm very excited about today's uh, episode. And for the listeners out there, uh, Val is the founder of Fix My Churn, who helped turn customers you've already attracted into customers for life. They're a team of specialists who are obsessed with customer communication and the impact it has on reducing churn and increasing customer happiness. She has worked with companies like Aweber, Buffer, InVision, Stripe, and more and has been called an email geek, a copywriter, a marketer, and a real game changer. Prior to Fix My Churn, Val was a content crafter at ConvertKit and founder of WorkKit Mama. So my first question for you, Val, is like, why Fix My Churn? What drove you to start the company, and why do you believe customer communication is so important in tackling churn? Yeah, well, that's a big question. Um, I, <laughs> so Fix My Turn came about um, because I was working with clients on customer onboarding and uh, did a lot of email work. So with my background being uh, working in the marketing team at a email marketing software platform, an ESP, I learned email inside and out. I mean, I did the email marketing for an email platform. So I learned everything about email. You can't get any more meta than that. No, it was super, it was the most meta job that I could possibly have. And, uh, you know, I not only learned like the the marketing side of email, but I also learned about, um, you know, what other people 
are are doing in the world of email deliverability and um, you know keeping emails out of spam and how to do email strategy, um, how to build out frameworks and segmenting and personalization. We learned all of those things um, through kind of testing it out on our own audience and then also just learning more about the email industry as a whole. And so I did a lot of email projects when I uh, left the company and went freelance again. I was freelance before, but in a different industry. Um, so I kind of knew how to run a business, but I, um, I knew that this time around, I really wanted to focus on, on email marketing. And so I did a ton of customer onboarding projects. I wrote about onboarding on my blog. Uh, so I did onboarding teardowns for a while. I don't remember, maybe six months worth of onboarding teardowns. Uh, that I posted to my blog where I got all of the onboarding emails for a software company and, you know, signed up for a free trial, would uh, examine each email and went through them email by email on my blog. And those are all still there. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people tell me they're still a great resource. So, um, but, you know, as I went through doing onboarding, we found that, okay, so people get through their trial and then they convert to a paid customer great and then there's nothing after that uh, and that just kind of drove me crazy as a you know an email marketer that there once somebody pays then we just ignore them and and the, the mindset of my clients was kind of like well we don't want to bother them once they're paying us we, we sort of like want to leave them alone and yeah. they'll just keep paying their invoice until they you know if we if we bother them then they're going to stop paying us um, and I just feel like that is such a wrong mentality to have. And, uh, and, and I, you know, at, at the same time, there was this rise of like product led growth and, um, growth marketing, growth hacking was a huge, like everyone's talking about it. And it just made me like roll my eyes every time <laughs> I heard it. Um, yeah. Because I feel like there is such an opportunity to support your existing customers. And especially if you have a pricing strategy where if they win, you win, yeah. um, then it only makes sense. So uh, Fix My Churn was really born out of that. Like, well, my, my clients came to me for onboarding, but the real problem that they had was a churn problem. They wanted better onboarding because people were signing up for a trial and either not converting or converting to a first month and then leaving Shaming. within that first three months because they still don't have any clue what to do. So they thought yeah. it was an onboarding problem, but really onboarding is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think this is actually something like it's come a lot up in the podcast in terms of like the areas and where the biggest problems lie when it comes to churn. And typically like onboarding is where people uh, always point to and it's like, okay, you have an issue with onboarding because people aren't establishing that uh, value prop and really creating a habit out of your product. But uh, taking that a step further, what you're saying is really it's all the communication that surrounds that. And it's not only about just thinking about that initial experience and how you can educate users in the beginning, but how do you on maintain that relationship and how do you keep that communication and engagement on an ongoing basis? Yeah, that's right. So what, what is some of your, your typical process look like then now working in with customers and what would your typical approach be in order to set up this communication strategy uh, to enable like your customers to be able to be communicating with their customers continuously? Hmm. So I, uh, 
always start with onboarding because it's the, the very first touch point with your customers. And so onboarding for me really starts from the moment that they sign up for your trial, or if you don't have a free trial that first 30 days, maybe if you have like a 30 day money back guarantee or something like that. Um, yep. And even if you have a paid first, like if, you, if you're, uh, you know, a product that has like a paid first month, getting that second month is kind of, that's your onboarding period. So, um, and you know, it looks different whether you have a 14 day trial or a 30 day trial or a un, unlimited trial, you know, a freemium product, everything looks a little bit different, yeah. but it, it does all start uh, with that onboarding phase. And onboarding is relationship building. And that's what I think is the most important thing to get across in, in all of this um, onboarding retention, um, even, even transactional emails, they're all uh, opportunities for you to build relationship. And, uh, and so in that onboarding phase, if you can uh, do what you can to not only educate on the key components of the product and how it benefits your customers, um, but also to do some storytelling, um, build the relationship between your team and your customers and help them feel like, okay, wow, this is a team of people who are here to support me in my business. Um, and this is true, whether it's B2C or B2B, uh, you know, there's ultimately there's a person reading the email on the other side of that computer. So they feel like this is a, a team of real humans here to help me. And I, I know a few of them by name at this point. And, um, and you know, this isn't just, just a software solution because there are millions of software solutions out there. And I don't think there's a single industry where there's only one software of its kind. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody has quote competition. And so you, you know, you do yourself a favor by um, standing out by building that relationship because it's really, really easy to turn away from a piece of software to cancel inside of an account and walk away from it. But it's really hard to, you know, if, if you, Andrew, are sending me emails as the CEO of a company or as the head of customer success at a company and I'm getting emails as a customer from you with your name on it and, uh, and you know, you're in the from sender and all those things. And then now I feel like, oh, I, I don't just have a company I'm leaving. I have, I'm leaving Andrew and I don't want to do that, right? So it, to me, it's all about building relationship um, first and foremost. And that starts in onboarding and it carries through to retention. Yeah, I think like it's definitely a strong, strong point you're making as well. And like more often than not, we overlook email and it's like really that transactional mindset that comes to it. And it's that event-based messaging strategy that comes to mind and less about sort of like how can we build and create relationships? Because at the end of the day, this is just us, an opportunity for us to speak to our customers. And uh, by thinking of it as just sort of like a one-way discussion, you sort of lose that opportunity to build that relationship. The one thing that I have like a little bit of uh, like a concern and wondering how you tend to deal with this is like, I'm wondering, do you get kickback from clients and from customers concerned that how would they be able to scale and manage these relationships? Um, yeah. And obviously like we use email as a tool to be able to scale and to be able to reach a wide audience. But on the flip side, if we're really getting personal and we're really creating and building these relationships with our customers, how can we manage these relationships at scale? Yeah. So the, Churn reduction is not about scale at all. Um, and I mean, there's the, you know, like bulk email side of things. Um, but, 
but you know, really churn, reducing churn, managing relationships from the beginning is all about doing things that don't scale. It's about sending handwritten notes. It's about building relationships. It's about um, you know doing those one-to-one -one calls, uh, back and forth emails. It does mean more inbound messaging for your success team. And so it's something you have to be prepared for. But you have to know that the best form of retention management has nothing to do with scale. Yeah, and uh, definitely, like as you say, people can leave software really easily, but leaving people is is another level of like emotional attachment that you need to sort of get rid of before dropping a piece of software. So, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, sorry. there's there's things like you know you can automate things a bit, right? Like um, maybe you have you know, when I was in house at ConvertKit, one of the things we did was we had a an onboarding checklist in the app, and um, and if you completed the checklist, the last step was to claim your free t-shirt. And so we had a ConvertKit t-shirt, like every good startup company does. Uh, and we did it through, I think it was Spreadshirt. And um, so it, the customer would get, complete their checklist, see like, oh, I get a free t-shirt. And then they would go and fill out their name and mailing address. And then Spreadshirt would just send out a, you know, the t-shirt for us. So there wasn't really anything that we did on our end other than pay for the t-shirts. Yeah. And I think that there are ways to do that with stickers and other kinds of gear, right? But, um, you know, the idea is doing something that, that builds that relationship. Because if I slap a sticker on my computer or I'm wearing a t-shirt on video calls, um, I, you know, I'm less likely to walk away from that brand. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so like this is a next step then. So now we've sort of, okay, we agree you started onboarding. Um, you're trying to sort of figure out uh, like how to get users to that next phase of their journey. You mentioned something earlier though, is like uh, when people come to you, typically they're only thinking about onboarding and uh, you, you say like fixing churn and really tackling the issues more than just that. So what would be the next sort of area that you would want to look into and work with a client to understand like how you can improve uh, retention with communication? Yeah. So the, the next piece is, do you have a retention program at all? Right. So, and, and a lot of companies don't, um, I'm seeing more and more job postings for retention managers and life cycle managers. Um, I think that that is it, the industry that I work in and that I care so much about. And a few other people I know do, uh, I feel like we're kind of on the cusp of something that's going to really be a big deal in a while. Um, I'm just Absolutely. starting to see, right. Like, you, it, last year, even earlier this year, seeing job postings for email marketing managers was like that. That's pretty standard. Or customer yeah. success managers, that's pretty standard. standard. But it, yeah, and even onboarding specialists, like um, you know, people who get on calls and help people get onboarded into a product, that's pretty standard. Um, but seeing retention managers, seeing lifecycle campaign managers, those. Those kinds of positions are kind of new. Yeah. And renewal um, managers as well. I've seen in customer yeah. success quite regularly now. They're having the specialization of renewals come up. So right. Yeah. Renewals. Um, even in in the world of e-commerce, I've seen like uh second purchase people, like people who are really focused on getting that second purchase. Yeah. All right. So once you um 
once you start to see those things, then it says like, okay, well, this is, people are starting to care more about this industry and, uh, and retention does really matter to a lot of companies. Yeah. So, uh, that's always my first question is, do you have a retention program at all? Um, then after that, it's not just, um, like, okay, well, what is it and, and how can we improve on it? Right. So there's, there's the foundational, um, emails that you can get into place. And I, I'm obviously a big proponent of having an email campaign that drips out over time, um, and offers, uh, you know, more relationship building, more value adds for your customers. Um, not just talking about the product and new feature releases, but in relationship to how that matters to them. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the, the, a huge part of the retention programs is the transactional emails. Um, this is something I'm doing more and more with my clients is uh, auditing transactional emails and seeing so much opportunity for um, improvement there because typically those emails were written by a product engineer because they're sent from the system or um, you know maybe through postmark or something like that but um, they were typically written by someone who is not an email marketer and not um, you know they're very talented people but they're not email marketers yeah and they're not copywriters um, yeah and then also they wrote it three six years ago you know, yep. and it hasn't really changed since then. So huge opportunities. Uh, yeah. Transactional emails are such a major opportunity. Can you give uh, us one, I, like one story of a customer you've worked with where you've seen like an opportunity like that and uh, what the, what that was? Oh yeah. Um, so I was actually just talking with a client about their transactional emails and uh, one of the biggest areas of opportunity was in their regular uh, invoice, right? So um, the you paid every month kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so once, uh, once they have that invoice, they are reminded that they did pay. And now if you're a bigger company, if you're B2B, that might just go on a line item and nobody cares and billing gets it and it's not a big deal. But this is a B2C company. And so they knew that their end user who also had a budget to manage was getting that invoice. Um, and so the invoice at the time just said like, here's what you paid. Um, you know, and I, it might've said thank you on it, <laughs> but yeah. you know, there's like, it's, it was just the bare bones, yeah. the header, their logo. Um, you know, here's how much you paid this Long month. And, total. Yeah. And it just, it starts to, when you get those every single month, it starts to make you feel like you are nothing but a credit card to a company if you have no other point of communication. Um, and so we took that email and turned it into, um, you know, at, you can add onto these invoices where, and it's a standard message that comes every month, but it's just a reminder that, you know, this is a family run company. We are so thankful that you're here and a part of it. Um, we added in a, a picture that they had of the, the team and, you know, this is our team. Here's how you can reach us if you have questions at any point. Um, and then I think we even talked about uh, looking to see if it's possible, if it was possible to kind of have like a, a rotating um, either like a little quote or a factoid, uh, just something that would change every single month, but the rest of it stayed the same. 
Um, And just adding those little bits of personality, uh, it makes such a difference to the end user. They still get the invoice. They still get the, um, you know, everything they need for their accountant to manage their books, but they also get a little bit of good feeling in the process. Yeah, I totally agree with this. And it's something that actually happened to me prior. I actually work in Hotjar now. And before joining Hotjar, I had a startup. Uh, and towards the end, sort of uh, funds was limited in the bank. And we were getting sort of these transactional emails coming through like payment decline, payment decline. Mm. And in some cases, it would just be like, you know, as you said, the typical standard, like bright red payment error, like very impersonal, like really uh, like not making you feel good about uh, yourself as well at that point in time. But then uh, actually the best result, and I'm not just saying this because I work at Hotjar now, but was it was a personal email that came directly from David uh, Domin and our CEO. And uh, essentially like what it said was uh, like, hey, we know things can be difficult from time to time. Uh, things slip up from here and there. Credit cards can expire. Like is there absolutely anything uh, we can help you with uh, to make sure like uh, you can get up and run again? We don't want you to miss out. Something along those lines. But it really just sort of resonated to us at that time. And I was like, shit, this is like a really good email. Like, and yeah. it really stood out from the crowd. Right. And here's the thing with transactional emails is that most of the time the person getting it is either in a hurry, like a password reset email, um, or they are, you know, it's, they're blindsided by it. Right. So like a credit card cancellation, you know, a dunning email or, um, or even an invoice, a monthly invoice. We kind of forget like, Oh, my monthly invoice is here. I feel like I just got that two weeks ago, but apparently it's (laughs) been a whole month. Um, so you can, you know, they kind of, they either come out of the blue or the person is like in a bit of a panic or hurry or, um, anxious. Yeah. Or wasn't way. even aware of it as well. Like, it's the other yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's definitely transactional emails depending on your brands that are, you know, like social likes and shares. But again, that's something that's showing up in their inbox, essentially uninvited, right yeah. there. Um, it's just based on a thing that happens in their account. So you want to add those brand personality things and, and yeah, that human element, right? Like we forget um, just because it's a quote, well, the system sends that email. That's not a marketing email. Uh, you know, like that's what, that's what I hear so much about transactional emails. Well, we just, the, those are built in our back end, and they just get sent out automatically. And um, like, just because a machine sends it doesn't mean a human doesn't read it. You know? <laughs> yeah. For sure. It's still a marketing email. Uh, I, I really want people to uh, change their mindset about marketing emails. What, what makes a marketing email? And I think a transactional email absolutely is a huge opportunity to become a marketing email. Yeah. And if you think, I mean, it's like you say, it's one of those things that just pops up in your email and uh, from time to time as well, like it's a reminder that you're still paying for the service or that you're still using it. In some cases, like people worry that these reminders will sort of trigger users to cancel their subscription. And uh, uh, like you said, like if you are really treating as a transactional uh, email, that can be a really good reminder to go in and cancel and churn. But if you are taking the more personal approach and really making it about them and uh, making about like how you're serving them, uh, it, it really like turns uh, the story around. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, even thinking about my own inbox, like I, I'll get an um, email from Medium, for example, where Medium says like, oh, so-and-so liked your, your post recently or left a comment or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a Medium account. I forgot and I should post over there. Um, but Medium doesn't really do anything that says like, hey, 
um, you know, why don't you, uh, this person left a comment. That's all it says. It's not yeah. like, why don't you reply to them or, um, you know, post your response in as another article or they give me some kind of suggestions about um, or reminders of like posting on Medium and what that does for me. Yeah. And, and I mean, like now, like at the surface level, we think we're talking about like small little details, but what are some of like the wins you've seen with companies working with them? Like with just making these small little tweaks and making things a little bit personal, like is there any specific case where you can speak to where uh, like conversions were increased or retention was increased as a result yeah. of making tweaks? Yeah. Um, I, well, conversions always increase on free trials when you work on onboarding. Um, I worked on an onboarding campaign where we increased conversions by 10%, which is massive, um, more than paid for the cost of the project. Um, and you know, I, I think that if you can impact your conversions or churn by 1% or half a percent, like think, like do the back of the napkin math, of what that means it is and and then it compounds over time you know um so it's it really can have a huge impact um and and i think that what you have to know about these kinds of projects just like churn related activities don't really scale well they also take time uh to see results so up front we always at Every single client says, oh, they'll forward me a response to an email from a client. Look at this great response. Somebody will say like, wow, I really appreciate you guys sending this email. It feels so personal. And like, um, I, I really love learning this about the company or, um, you know, so, some kind of that kind of qualitative lift of, wow, customers are responding to emails that they used to never respond to. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that matters. And thinking about getting more responses should not feel like a bad thing and something you need to mitigate um, yeah. inbound emails. It, you know, if people are replying to your onboarding and retention emails, that's a really good thing. Exactly. Um, this was actually when I asked the question earlier, I was hoping your response was going to be, is that like people tend to think of it as like worrying and okay, now I'm going to get too many responses, yeah. but like people are engaging with you and they're engaging with your brand and that shows that they care. Like it's like, uh, there's no better sort of definition as well 100%. of like engagement is an email response from a customer who's like you've bombarded their email and their inbox and now they've actually spent the time to come back to you and, yeah yeah and i can't tell you how many times i mean even in my own on my own email list i get people who say uh, you know i have a welcome email uh to my email list and i i get people who say hey val i never respond to these kinds of emails but I, because of the way this was written, I feel really compelled to reply. And then they give me a whole big reply. And you know what that does? It gives me voice of customer data. So responses to emails should not feel like that's something we don't want. If anything, you want more of them because it builds a relationship and it also gives you exact words that your customers use to talk about how they feel about your brand. Um, And that can be turned around into subject lines, calls to action, headlines on your website. Um, don't think that responses to emails are just something to be filed away in your you know, ticketing system. They are absolutely opportunities to mine voice of customer and reuse it across your brand. And if anything, it's probably one of the most authentic areas you'll ever get it as well, because like sending out a survey or conducting an interview, it's not really in a natural environment and it's like taking people out of their comfort zones a lot of the time. But 
uh, somebody out of their own free will choosing to reply to an email and giving you some feedback is really going to be gold, like you say, when it comes yeah. to that voice of customer. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that on my the next time I run into one of these cases where uh, you know one of my clients forwards me an email from a customer, um, I'm going to say, okay, let's track that individual customer and see when they convert on the, you know, in the onboarding sequence or um, in that process or how, how, what their lifetime value is. And of course we don't know what it would be without it. Um, but it's interesting to me to think about what is the lifetime value of a customer who responds to an onboarding or retention email um, versus your average lifetime value. Yeah. And especially one that starts with, I never do this, but that's really strong. Uh, Yeah. So uh, let's continue then a little bit. So you mentioned like the uh, retention plan and we talk about onboarding emails, transactional emails. Like what are some of the other things that you see like going into a good plan that companies have implemented or that you help companies with? So the other thing that I think comes up a lot is this idea of like an affiliate or referral program. Um, And it's such an opportunity for customer retention. And in fact, it's a huge opportunity for customer growth, for acquisition, right? Um, that you can utilize your existing customers to help you grow your customer base. Um, so affiliate and referral programs are, um, that, that's kind of, there are two words that mean the same thing. Um, there's also the opportunity for partner programs, um, which is kind of the next level of, affiliate or, part or referral programs, a partner is, um, this, you typically see this a lot on the B2C side where they are a, a service provider who can help get someone set up in that product or um, like we are Clavio certified partners. And so um, if we have a client on, in e-commerce, then uh, we make sure they're set up properly in Clavio. We know how the system works and um, what should should and should, shouldn't be done in that platform, right? So um, inherently, we are inclined to tell our clients, "Hey, if you're in e-commerce, we want to get you on Clavio, um, and and here's why, and and here's how it's going to benefit what we do." Um, so we are as partners, uh, you know. It, foot soldiers in the acquisition case for for Clavio in that yeah. in that instance right yeah, the um, acquisition and the onboarding and the customer success like you're yeah, basically taking we do a all, lot of it. Of, all of it all of them yeah it's an amazing way to scale your customer success team without hiring anybody um yeah. so partner programs are a, a really powerful tool to have but they have to start with the foundation of an affiliate or referral program like you've got to get some you have to see some traction in that affiliate world. Um, and something that we do when a client has an affiliate program or maybe some even doesn't, doesn't have one at all. Um, a lot of my clients will have, and they say, Oh yeah, we have an affiliate program. There's a link like inside of your account, you have a link that is custom for you and you can send it out and you'll get, you know, credit on every purchase that, comes our way every new customer acquired through your link yeah well that's great but you never talk about it (laughs) um or if you do talk about it you talk about it in your like third onboarding email where they barely even had a chance to use the platform um let alone want to tell other people about it i mean sometimes it's the case that early on you want to tell 
shout from the rooftops how much you love a product. Yeah. Um, but I think in general, brands could do a lot more marketing of their affiliate programs and what that looks like and uh, you know what, how it's rewarded and, um, and show it off, whether it's um, talking about your, your top affiliates on your blog or in your newsletter, um, doing some kind of tracking with that. There are some brands that do this really well, um, like, like the Skim, for example, is one, and um, Morning Brew. They are both like kind of news aggregate New email newsletters, yeah. um, but there are really interesting ways to do it for SaaS too. Um, so fine. building out, like once you've kind of thought through your, re your onboarding and retention programs, thinking about your affiliate program is, um, and, then, and then layering on top of that partners um, is the next element of how to build out a long-term retention. Good plan. Yeah, and uh, you said something that I love as well, and it's something that came up in a previous episode with Sean Klaus, is the concept of timing. Uh, and uh, like, like you said, ahead of that referral email in the third email you send during onboarding, when people are still trying to figure out if this is a tool for them, and the same goes as well for like emails, like often like when we think about retention and like the natural thing is the more team members using my tool, the more likely an account is to be retained. So let me try and include that in onboarding and get people. But more often than not, it's like people during that phase are really trying to just first understand like, is this for me? Like uh, to be able to refer to a friend or to be able to invite a team, you're actually asking them to invest like quite a lot of uh, like equity and personal equity into this like vouching for you. Um, yeah. so the timing is really, really critical in getting this right. And, uh, I mean, these are two examples, but like, what are some of the areas you see in terms of like timing of emails that are done wrong or things that are done really right? Well, an email like that, for example, really should be based on behavior and not time based, right? So it shouldn't be a like, well, they've been, um, they've been on their trial for 10 days. So that let's send them this affiliate email or, um, or they've, been, they've had an account for three months. None of that matters if they aren't actively using the account, if they aren't um, engaging with it at a level that makes them successful. So you have to look at behavior-based emails for cases like, hey, go tell your friends about us and use your link and um, write blog posts about us. You know, people, I've seen brands ask, uh, especially in B2C, I've seen brands ask customers to like write a blog post dedicated to us and how it's helped your brand. And that's, and it's just a time-based ask and it falls flat because it is a lot of social equity to uh, recommend a product. And especially if you maintain a blog and people refer to that for, um, you know, good uh, resources you want to feel invested in a product. I mean, I know I don't write about things in my blog I haven't used and, and not just used, but loved. Yeah. Um, so you have to understand that, that capital that you're asking for. Um, so I think that those kinds of emails should absolutely be behavior-based. And figuring out the right time when people actually in love with your product and willing and committed to actually refer or write about or introduce others. Yeah. So. Cool. So I think we have time for one last question and it's something I ask every guest that joins the show. Um, and I want to put you in a hypothetical scenario. So let's imagine uh, you join a new company and uh, you arrive at this company and they have a problem with churn and retention. And uh, you've been given the task to try and help turn things around. 
Uh, you've got three months to show some results or to try and uh, implement a plan. Like, what would be some of the things that you would want to be doing within those first three months to help turn things around? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Uh, the first thing, well, yeah, the first thing I would do is go to every department. Um, so whether this is a 10-person company or a 100-person company or a 1,000-person company, go to each department or maybe department head and say, hey, same kind of hypothetical situation here is, um, let's say we shut off customer acquisition entirely and we're still responsible for raising our monthly recurring revenue. What, from your vantage point, you know, uh, CMO, CTO, uh, product team, you know, whoever they are, uh, having these individual conversations and saying, from your vantage point, if we had no more acquisition, what would you do to increase our monthly recurring revenue? And just start to get the entire team thinking about retention efforts. And whether they, they have an answer or not, by asking that question, you get their gears turning about um, what is possible if we turned off acquisition entirely. Um, and, you know, and then it also starts to help that kind of spitball brainstorming helps you start to think uh, a little bit outside of the box of what you might traditionally do. So someone on customer success might have a different idea than somebody on engineering and um, even, you know, people operations and uh, like everybody has ideas, right? You just have to go ask them. Um, and then, you know, I obviously would have like take all of those ideas and, and um, put together a priority list. Um, but the very first things I would do is what I do. I mean, that, that three month period is the starting period for working with us as a company. So um, what we do is audit what exists and then uh, do voice of customer research. And, um, and along with that customer research, we find out from that list of you know, proposed ideas, where are our priorities based on the customer research and also what already exists uh, and make that priority list and just start tackling it one experiment at a time. And I say experiment because the most important part of especially email marketing is that you have to test it. You have to find out what works. And in my opinion, a failure is, a, is nothing more than a piece of data. So um, if, if a, you know, everybody gets excited about an A-B test in the email, like the, oh, this is the winner and what do we do? Well, I want to see what the, quote, losing test was, what the, the split was, because I want to know, you know, how we can optimize that email and what we can take from it and put into the winning email. Um, because a lot of times A-B tests are aggregate over a bunch of different factors. So maybe clicks were higher on the losing email, but opens were higher on the winning. And so, you know, there's, um, there's a number of factors, but I like to look at the whole big picture. And, um, and ultimately, it comes down to um, getting the entire team thinking about customer retention, and then um, talking to customers, you have to, you have to go talk to your customers. And by that, I mean, yes, in a way that doesn't scale, you have to get on one on one calls with your customers and do voice of customer, proper voice of customer research uh, to know how to prioritize your retention efforts. Yeah, I love a lot of what you said now as well. I think like one thing with A-B tests, absolutely right, is like we focus too much uh, on the wins and then 
and not enough time as well, like trying to understand like why something won or why something lost. Like it's equally, if not more important to really understand sort of the, the analysis on the end and the back of an experiment. And then yeah. I, I just absolutely loved how you sort of uh, framed that question to the company sort of saying like, if we had to shut off growth, what could we do to still continue to increase uh, revenue? Because I think, growth is one of those things that sort of masks the retention problem. And specifically for like hyper growth startups in the beginning, it's like uh, retention is always something that's kicked down the bucket because it's masked by this continuous growth. And you don't really understand that you have a problem until it's too late to fix that problem. Yeah. So framing it really in that sense, really getting that alignment from the team and saying, okay, like this is an issue. Like how can we all start thinking about this issue and how can we align ourselves and our goals towards that issue? Uh, I think it's an amazing way. And then obviously, like, as you said, like the bare basics is really just speaking to customers. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, everything comes down to having that retention mindset. Um, You know, it helps a engineering team think about how they would prioritize their backlog. Um, It helps, it helps a success team think about the way that they answer tickets and what they do with closed tickets. Even, Um, you know, it helps a, operations team think about how they treat the employees so that they can better serve the customers. Uh, so it, it has a, a trickle down effect to every department. And, um, and that's why I think it's important to be asking those questions and getting the entire company um, thinking about re- customer retention long term. Yeah. And it's the only way you can really solve for it is if the whole company is really aligned and working towards it and you're not having polar opposites like uh, uh, sales or marketing trying to just drive new acquisition, get as many heads through the door, but maybe driving through the wrong leads and same thing happening in sales or product. So it really is critical to have that alignment. Yeah, and we could do like an entire uh, recording on just voice of customer research because that's a huge uh, element too is like knowing, um, yeah, that whole thing that you said about sales getting the wrong leads in the door. Well, if you've done your proper voice of customer research and you know where they are hanging out online and how they're influenced and who helps them make their buying decisions and all of those things, then you can find the right people at the right time. Yeah, well, you've just uh, scheduled another interview with us in a few months' time. (laughs) Great, let's uh, do it. Cool. Well, Val, uh, thank you very, very much uh, for joining the show today. Before we leave you, is there anything that you'd like to share with the audience? How can they keep up with your work, keep in contact with what you're up to? Anyone let us know? Oh, yeah. So you can find uh, find out more about what we do at fixmyturn.com. And uh, I am on Twitter pretty actively. And my Twitter is at love val geisler uh so you can come say hi to me let me know you listen to the show i love to hear from podcast listeners so um come say hi and and then yeah join us at fixmyturn.com and um read our onboarding teardowns and join the email list so you can stay up to date awesome well thanks very very much i really appreciate it. it's been great chatting today and i uh, wish you best of luck going forward thank you so much thanks for having me cheers And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to Andrew 
at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.